Welcome to The Rational Egoist. I'm your host, Michael Leibowitz. Like most of you, I assume, <laughs> I've made my fair share of mistakes. And I often, when I make mistakes, I feel utterly demoralized, especially when I make the same mistake repeatedly. But I recently read an article where the author talked about that we should be looking at mistakes differently in a, in a more positive light. And I liked the article so much that I reached out to its author and he agreed to be on the show with us today. He is the founder of Compassion Power, which, among other things, offers courses for anger management, domestic violence, and compassionate parenting. He's also the author of numerous books, including Empowered Love and Soar Above, How to Use the Most Profound Part of Your Brain Under Any Kind of Stress. Stephen Stasny, PhD, welcome to the program. Well, glad to be here. So you wrote in this article, and I'll quote, few things deplete hope as much as making mistakes, especially when they're repeated, which is basically what I, what I just said. So why does making mistakes cause us to lose hope? Well, because uh, there's three things that, that contribute to success or failure. One is genuine confidence. And that doesn't mean you're not going to make a mistake. That means that when you make a mistake, you'll be able to recover from it. And if even the, the mistakes that you mentioned, if you really look back on them, you did recover from them and you did compensate for them. But to forget that, what you remember is the shame of making a mistake. Um, that's genuine confidence. And then there's overconfidence. That's when you uh, uh, underestimate the risk of failure. And underconfidence is when you overestimate the risk of failure. Now, most big mistakes occur with overconfidence, not with underconfidence. Uh, those are catastrophic mistakes often, like big financial mistakes. Uh, stock market is replete with overconfidence, people losing a lot of money. Uh, and underconfidence keeps us from learning from smaller mistakes. And if you don't learn from smaller mistakes, you're going to make bigger ones. But you can actually learn more from a mistake than you can from a success. Because a success, well, anybody who's successful will tell you there's a certain amount of luck involved in success. And uh, we kind of forget that we were lucky <laughs> and repeat the small mistakes that lead to the big ones. So um, mistakes are good learning tools. They're not punishments. They're to help us do better. So this feeling of hopelessness that you talked about and, and I mentioned, when we get that feeling, we tend to repeat mistakes. What is the dynamic at play that causes that to happen? Well, shame is, it, it's shame that, that causes uh, the hopelessness. Uh, shame is a self-obsessed emotion that makes you stop what you're doing because it's either producing failure or rejection. That's how it evolved in the human species. 
but it doesn't mean for you to stay stuck. It means stop what you're doing and do something else that'll be more successful. But the shame's coming from the limbic system, the toddler brain, the part of the brain's fully developed at age three. So it doesn't know what to do. It just says, don't do that. And then the prefrontal cortex, the adult brain has to figure out what to do. But some of us get stuck in that toddler brain stop and we actually disengage the prefrontal cortex, which is the analytical and problem solving part of the brain. So the skill we need to learn is to make that transition. The shame is good. It's telling you to stop what you were doing because it's not working, but then you got to move quickly into what will work or what's more likely to work. So don't get stuck, in other words, right? right. We don't want to get stuck in the, in the mire. Yeah, people misunderstand shame so much because like when you were a little boy and you felt shame, somebody probably told you you were bad. So you think the shame is telling you that, <laughs> but it's not. The shame's telling you to do better, actually. Oh. Uh, but we internalize that message that it means we're defective or inadequate in some way. And that's very painful. So brain develops all kinds of ways of avoiding it. And one way of avoiding it is to stop thinking about the future. But if you stop thinking about the future, you're going to make more mistakes. Now, why are mistakes better teachers than successes? Like, I, I don't know, but I would tend to think that if I did something right, I would want to learn from that and say, okay, let me repeat that experience again. But you say that mistakes actually have the propensity to teach us more. Why? Uh, because what we remember is the success. We don't remember all the steps up to it. So we're going to, when we try to repeat that success, we're going to go straight to the success. You know, there's a lot of evidence for that. But one of the reasons that, you know, the, the football playoffs are now, one of the reasons that repeating championships is so seldomly done is because they forget how much luck was involved in them getting there. <laughs> and they think, well, I can keep doing the same thing. And, you know, those little mistakes didn't amount to anything. I'm just going to uh, do the same things and they don't have the same luck and the mistakes produce failure. Now, these mistakes that we make on the way to our successes, you use the analogy of playing horseshoes. Yeah, that's it. it. Can you elaborate on that? First of all, tell us what the analogy is and then elaborate on what it means. Because I thought it was a very interesting point that you made. Uh, our brain to learn uses a kind of algorithm and makes an estimation makes an error and uses the error, correction of the error to reach success. Uh, and the paradigm of that is pitching horseshoes. The first time you throw a horseshoe or pitch it, it's either gonna be too long or too short, unless it's blind luck and you happen to get it. Uh, and the second attempt is gonna overcompensate in this, the opposite direction. The third attempt is when you have the best chance of getting the ringer or getting closest to it. Now, if you see that as two failures and one success, your life's going to be very difficult, <laughs> painful. But your brain seeing it as one success in three steps. It needed the errors to be able to reach the success. And toddlers learn to walk by falling. They don't learn to walk by balancing their weight. They can't 
do that without falling. So they plop this way, then they get they plop that way, <laughs> plop yeah. that way, and then they learn all the ways they could plop, and then they start walking. Uh, but that's how the the brain acquires knowledge by making mistakes. Now, oftentimes, one mistake leads to another mistake, and then another mistake, and another mistake, and the mistakes ultimately sort of compound each other. So it the, the last one in the sequence tends to be a whopper. Why is it important to focus on the small mistakes rather than just focusing on the, the big mistake? Uh, because the small mistakes lead to the big mistakes. The small mistakes, and I mean real small, it's like if you misspell a word, correct it. You know, we, we tend not to do that because we have spell checks now. So we're not really that careful with our own spelling. And that in itself leads to more mistakes because, see, when you correct a mistake, you're engaging your prefrontal cortex. You're focusing all the most powerful neurons in your brain to correct that small mistake. And then it'll stay focused so you can prevent bigger mistakes. But if you forget that you made the small mistakes and just focus on that big one, you don't see what led up to it. What led up to it was, so each time you even make a small mistake, there's a little bit of shame. The, the defense against shame is distraction. So when you feel a little bit of shame, your mind wanders a little bit, and then you're not gonna pay as much attention to detail and make another mistake. See, when I, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you looked into me before coming on the show, but I spent a lot of time in prison to a quarter century to be exact. And when I embarked on the process of change, one of the biggest influences on me were, were two doctors, Dr. Stanton Samenow and, and Samuel Yokelson. They were a criminal psychologist. And they talked about not, uh, not allowing yourself even minor moral failings, minor, I guess I would call them decisions, but I think it fits into the sort of the, the, the same dynamic, it, it, it's small, bad decisions, small errors, because they would talk about how the, the small one kicks the door open to, to the bigger ones. And people throughout my life, I, I embarked on the change process starting in 2004 have often criticized me for that and told me you're being too meticulous. You're being too particular in focusing on these things. Nobody's perfect. But it seems like, well, I know they were onto something because I know how much it helped me change, but I've never extrapolated from the criminal change process to anybody that's trying to learn and change needing to focus on the small things. And the other thing that they focused on was that when a criminal is trying to change, most people think that you want to build self-esteem and tell them, you know, you're really a good person underneath, but they say, no, you want to make them feel guilty. And that guilt, it, it, because guilt is an uncomfortable feeling, right? So that inspires me. I don't want to feel that. So by embracing the guilt, it helps me to change even those small behaviors. Is there any similarities between that and what you're talking about? Because it seems like there is between the yeah. guilt that they talk about and the shame you're talking about and the focus on the small things. There absolutely is. See, the natural motivation of guilt 
is uh, it, it occurs when you violate your own standards, not necessarily society's standards, but your own. Uh, so you violated your own values and the motivation of the guilt is to make up for that because that violation caused some kind of a severance of a bond between you, either within yourself or with someone else. And the motivation is to repair that bond. And if you follow the motivation, guilt is self-correcting. Uh, it's not a punishment. It's a motivation to be, be well, to do well. Uh, and if you follow the motivation of the guilt, you will do well. So that's what they were talking about. And it is very much the same thing. When you are correcting even minor uh, moral failings, I do it myself, you know, I'm watching TV and some hot actress comes on and I have a little guilty thought with my wife sitting right there. I know this is, <laughs> I reach out and touch my wife. <laughs> I'm following the motivation of the guilt. Uh, but what you're, see, almost all human behavior is habituated. You know, by the time we were adults, 95% of your be behavior is habit. That means it runs on autopilot without the reflective brain. By, it bypasses the reflective brain. Whatever you do repeatedly, your brain will begin to do automatically. So you want your moral behavior, your ethical standards to become habits, to become automatic. And the way to do that is by repeating these small steps. So that's the neurological explanation. But what they were telling you is right on. And I'm glad to hear yeah. that. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that psychologists have gotten that. When you just mentioned that the habits, it reminds me of uh, Aristotle, and and then I don't know how to pronounce it, but I'd say Nicomachean Ethics, where he talked about virtue basically is built into the character by repeated action. It, it, it's habits. I think William James talks about something similar. But a, a moment or so ago, a few minutes, you mentioned uh, that guilt is a response to our own standards. And I, I, people have said to me that the conscience will tell you what's right and wrong, but that's not true because a conscience is just a response to what we think is right and wrong. I used to be a practicing Jew. And at the time, I remember having a, a pork sandwich, a pepperoni sandwich, and I felt so guilty because I was violating my religious belief. Now I can devour a bacon cheeseburger and I don't feel anything about it because I'm no longer a practicing Jew. Well, you changed your belief, though, so the guilt yes. is switched to a different belief. Exactly. Now, values are vital, and you, you also mentioned how it's important to follow our values rather than our immediate emotions, our immediate feelings. Explain what you mean by that. Well, it, it's similar to what your uh, psychologist told you, that you build this habit of acting on your values. Values are more permanent. Feelings are very temporary. And feelings are, uh, they, they evolve to amplify and magnify one aspect of experience. Blow it out of proportion so you'll act on it. Uh, and that momentary amplification might not be in your best interest and it might violate your standards uh, and lead to more shame. Uh, so at, by acting on your values repeatedly, that becomes your new habit. That becomes your automatic behavioral process. 
it's also the case, right, that our, our emotions stem from our, our beliefs and, and our values, but not necessarily our conscious values and beliefs. And what no. I mean by that is it, yeah. when I embarked on the change process, for instance, I decided, okay, I want to be an honest person. I want to be self-controlled. I don't want to be violent. I don't want to be getting into fights, that sort of thing. But my in, I don't want to say the, the ingrained values that I already had were very different. So if somebody were to quote, disrespect me end quote, because not really disrespect, it's my interpretation of it. I would get angry, even though the, the value that I wanted to, to have, the new value was walk away from trouble. Don't engage that type of stuff. So the emotional reaction was responding to a value I no longer wanted to have. So in that case, it was vital that I pay attention to the new values that yeah. I wanted. But you see, I wouldn't call that a value. That's the ego defense. Okay. Ego is different from values. Uh, the, the values that we're hardwired for, and everyone except psychopaths have that. Psycho psychopathy is a, and I'm sure you met them in prison. <laughs> uh, that's a neurological disorder. They don't have a connection between the limbic system and the and the prefrontal cortex. Uh, but that they're relatively rare. You, I'm so sure you've seen a disproportionate number of them. I did when I used to handle court order clients. Uh, but in the general population, they're very rare. Most people develop an ego defense that disrespect means you, you have disrespected my ego. That's different from your values. For instance, if your four-year-old says something disrespectful to you, and I'm sure he does occasionally, you don't get all upset at that because your value of protecting the four-year-old is more important than the ego offense, right? Values are always more important than ego. But when we make ego more important than values, so you'll violate your deeper value by beating on somebody who disrespects you, uh, that's where we make big mistakes when we act on ego instead of values. Now, how can we maximize our chances of learning from the mistakes that we make? Like, what are some strategies, tactics that we can employ to make sure that we're learning the lessons that we need to learn? Uh, well, give me an example of a mistake you made. Oh, wow. Um, that, let me think. It doesn't have to be a big one. Uh, I'm trying to think of something that happened recently. Um, well, see, the, the problem I'm having with, with answering that is that most of the stuff are, that, that I'm talking about are decisions. They're not necessarily mistakes because they're not accidents. Okay. I, 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 when I was, I, I had a job recently where I worked at a uh, Dunkin' Donuts, for instance, and I made the mistake of uh, putting in the bagels with the muffins, right? You're not supposed to do that because they have to cook for different time frames. So that's the, that's the example that came to my mind. So how do I learn from that and then cement the lesson so that I don't repeat the mistake? You, you have to make this separate, separating the bagels from the muffins habituated so you don't have to think about it. 
And you know, strategies for doing that would be pick up one in one hand, the other in the other hand, if you can hold them in one hand, or put them in different bags, put them in different time frames. Something that becomes habit because mistakes occur the more you have to think about it. You know, I did some work with the NBA uh, a number of years ago when they had some celebrated anger problems. Uh, and I didn't know this, but they, uh, every day they practice, they shoot almost 100 foul shots. They don't practice every day, but every day they practice. Uh, and they do half of them at the beginning of practice and half at the end when they're tired. And the whole point of that is to have, they call it muscle memory, so that they, the, the motion for hitting the foul shot is automatic. They don't have to think about it. Each time you think of that step, you have more room for error. And it's the same thing with something like that. How can I prevent this in the future is to come up with a way that my brain will make them separate automatically without having to think about it. You also talked about but you got to forgive yourself for making this mistake. <laughs> you have to say, I, you know, I, I'm a good person. I just forgot to do that, but I will do it better in the future. Now, you also wrote about why it's in, well, you didn't talk really about why, but you talked about that it is more important to focus on what we want rather than what we don't want. Right. Now, I want to know two, two things. Because you, you've talked both about the psychology and the, the neurology. What are the psychological and neurological reasons why focusing on what we want is the right way to go rather than focusing on what we don't want? Well, neurologically, mental focus amplifies and magnifies. Whatever you are focused on is more important than what you're not focused on. So you want to be sure you focus on what you want, because that's going to become more important than, than everything else. Uh, the other thing is what you focus on, you're likely to get more of. Uh, for instance, in that exchange you mentioned where you felt disrespected, if you focus on the disrespect, you're going to get more disrespect. But if you focus on this person is not feeling good about himself, uh, then you're going to get less disrespect. You see the difference? Uh, I do. Uh, my last question has to do with, it's kind of personal for me because of my role now in helping my girlfriend to raise her small child. What is the best way to teach children in regard to mistakes? Like the kid makes a mistake, you want him to learn from it. What's the best way to engage the child so he gets the most out of his experience in terms of learning from it? Well, the best way is to, uh, with Socratic questioning, to help them know what to do the next time. You don't want to focus on the mistake on the past. You want to focus on the correction in the future. Whenever we think about the past, see, see emotions are primarily motivations that prepare you to act for action. They send uh, uh, action signals, peptides, to all the muscle groups and organs of the body to prepare you to do something. And what they prepare you to do is basically approach, get more of something, avoid, get less of something, or attack. You're seen as a threat. Like in prison, you saw more attack than anything else, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, I visited prison a few times. I have clients there, so <laughs> I get an idea of what 
but I could go home. That was different. <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah. It's a little different. Yeah. Uh, I also wasn't there at night. So. <laughs> well, that, that's when everybody's locked up. So it, it's Thanks nicer at night than it is in the, in the day. Uh, okay. So you want to focus on what to do. You know, the, the next time that you're all excited and you still have to do, you know, pick up your clothes and put them in the laundry. What do you think is going to help you remember that? And if the child could come up with a solution, that's best. Now, if they're too young to do that, you still will say the next time what will help you to remember to do that is if you have your toys near your clothes so that when you look at your toys, you'll see the clothes. Speak of the devil. Come on over. Say <laughs> hi. Uh, say hi. Hi. <laughs> He's actually been good. He, he he hasn't wandered over. He just did for the first time. So I'm going to give him a nice surprise. I'm, I'm going to take him out for a soda <laughs> when I'm done with this. Ben, don't sit there because you're going to mess up my microphone. Okay. Uh, is there anything before I let you go that I didn't ask or that you didn't get a chance to say about this topic of the importance of mistakes? Uh, I just want to emphasize that habituating values is the best way to avoid mistakes. Values, values have to, they're, they're the, one of the few things that engages both the emotion and the prefrontal cortex. So, Whichever one you're stuck in, if you focus on values, it'll free up the other one too. Uh, and that's pretty much probably how you reformed your life. Yeah, it's replacing poor values with good values. I'd say if you had to sum up the change process easily, that's it. And making the, the new values habits, like uh, you just it, said. It occurs to me, I didn't finish that sentence a while back that the the purpose of, of acting on values uh, is to get to what is the inbred values for everybody but psychopaths. That's how I got off on thinking about psychopaths. The universal morality is uh, care is good, harm is bad. In every culture it's ever been studied, those two things are the core values. Care is good. You just did a good thing with with your the child. Harm is bad. In the past, you probably harmed. So if you just stick to that morality, you'll make a lot fewer mistakes. All right. I, well, um, thank you very much for for joining us today. It's a fascinating topic. I I hope people got something out of it, and I hope uh, we can stop beating ourselves up for our mistakes and start learning from them. Uh, is there anywhere that people can find you? Do you have a blog or a, a website? Uh, well, compassionpower.com is our website. And there's uh, a lot of free material on there and things to purchase. And I also have a blog on psychologytoday.com. Which is where I found you. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Okay. For now, this is the Rational Egoist signing out. This is Michael Leibowitz. Remember... Let me know what you think. Give me your criticisms, your likes, your dislikes, wh whatever. They're important. They help with the show. Till next time.